This is the Bigger Pockets Podcast Show 261. There's this tip that I have heard from a lot of different real estate agents about how you want to get as many people as you can through the house. No, you don't, you, you don't win a prize for having 500 showings and no offers. You want to get as many targeted people into your house as possible. You're listening to Bigger Pockets Radio, simplifying real estate for investors large and small. If you're here looking to learn about real estate investing without all the hype, you're in the right place. Stay tuned and be sure to join the millions of others who have benefited from BiggerPockets.com. Your home for real estate investing online. What is going on, everyone? This is Brandon Turner, your host today of the Bigger Pockets Podcast, here with not just my co-host today, Mr. Scott Trench, but also my guest slash co-host, Mindy Jensen. How are you guys doing? We're doing great. I am doing wonderful. (laughs) Okay, good, good. All right, so today's show, obviously beginning a little bit different than normal. Normally we... You know, we talk bad about the guests ahead of time and then we get them on the call. I'm just kidding. We don't usually talk bad about people, but we talk behind their back and then we bring them into the interview. Uh, today's a little different because our guest today is also somebody who regularly, is that the word? Regularly hosts the Bigger Pockets podcast as well. And that is Mindy Jensen here. So our guest and our guest host today, if you want to call it that, is Mindy. But uh, before we do that, let's talk bad about Mindy behind her back. Scott, what's up? Hey, Brandon. Well, talking bad about Mindy behind her back, she actually has had a heck of a past couple of months between hosting a bunch of Bigger Pockets podcasts, you know, continuing to do all the community management stuff, doing some sort of writing project. I think we'll hear about that in a, in a few minutes. There is a and launching project. another podcast, which she is also yes. the host of. So it's been Wait, a. Wait, what's uh, that other podcast called, Scott? Oh, the, the Bigger Pockets Money podcast, where we talk about personal finance and building the foundation from which to begin investing in, in real estate and other big ticket investment items. So, that, that yes, right. I'm really excited about that show. It's a great, fun show. It's related to Bigger Pockets, but not related to Bigger Pockets. And that, you know, we talk about real estate all day long here. Money's a big part of that. If you can't finance a property, if you can't afford to buy a house, you're not going to buy it. You're not going to get it started investing in real estate. And on and on and on. So yeah, the uh, Bigger Pockets Money Show is a great way to learn about money, how to fix your financial house so you can start investing. We also talk about different ways to invest. I know this is blasphemous on the Bigger Pockets podcast, but Mm. real estate is not the only way to invest your money to grow your wealth. Blasphemy. Blasphemy. That's the last time I will talk about anything other than... The point of all this, though, is that Mindy is the busiest person on the planet right now, and we're going to hear about a little bit about the things behind what she's doing in this upcoming show, right? Isn't that right? That is no, what we're doing. I'm not going to tell you about that. <laughs> all right. So before we get to the show today, talking about – actually, today we're going to focus in on one topic. Normally, we do interviews on people's stories. Today, we're actually going to zone in on a topic and talk about how to actually – make more money when you sell properties and how to reduce your stress. It's something that all of us have to deal with in our life with uh, real estate investing and something that I've been dealing with a lot lately as I sell off some of my earlier properties. And a lot of you guys don't know, Mindy is actually a licensed real estate agent and she is an awesome real estate agent and she knows how to sell houses. So uh, that's what we're talking about today. But before we get to that, let's get to today's quick Quick tip. I was, I was waiting wow. for you guys. All right, so t- quick it's really me. awful. <laughs> Just good job. All right, today's quick tip is actually so three months ago or so, I did a podcast here on the Bigger Pockets podcast alone. It was called The 90 Day Challenge How to Buy Your First or Next Property Before the End of the Year or something like that. Anyway, and a lot of people have done just that. In fact, I get emails almost every day because now here we are 
90-ish days later, and people are like, yeah, I took the 90-day challenge and I bought a property. So here's what I just want to ask. If you are somebody who did that, who went and bought, took the 90-day challenge and went out there and bought a property in the next 90, in, the, in those 90 days, do me a favor and uh, let us know. Actually, shoot an email over to support at biggerpockets.com. What I actually want to do is put together a special, either a whole episode of the podcast, maybe just a, a piece of a podcast, not really sure yet, just with some stories that people uh, about what they did during the 90 Day Challenge. Just kind of a way to encourage everybody together. So if that's you, shoot an email over to support at biggerpockets.com and just say, hey, I took the 90 Day Challenge, and then they'll make sure they get that over to me. So with that, 90 Day Challenge, hit them up. But yeah, congratulations to everyone who did that. And we will be doing another 90-day challenge here. I mean, you, can, you don't have to wait for a 90-day challenge to buy real estate. But if you want to join kind of as a community to do that, we'll be doing another one here shortly. Make sure you guys pay attention weekly to biggerpockets.com slash webinar, and you'll see uh, information there when it comes up. So buy low, sell high. Buy low, sell high. It's a simple concept, right? But not necessarily an easy concept. Right now, high interest rates have crushed the real estate market. Prices are falling and properties are available at a discount which means Fundrise believes that now is the time to expand the Fundrise Flagship Fund's billion-dollar real estate portfolio. You can add the Fundrise Flagship Fund to your portfolio in minutes by visiting fundrise.com pockets. Fundrise.com pockets. Carefully consider the investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses of the Fundrise Flagship Fund before investing. This and other information can be found in the fund's prospectus at fundrise.com flagship. This is a paid advertisement. I don't know. I don't really got anything else, Scott. Mindy, should we just jump into this content? I mean, people want to hear how to sell their properties. So you guys up for it? Bring it. All right. So today's guest is Mindy Jensen, and we're going to do something fun here. I'm going to actually try to pretend I know Mindy's entire backstory, like I remember it from when we interviewed on the podcast. And you're going to tell me, am I hot or cold, Mindy? You ready for this? Right, this Mi- is going to be great. I bet Mi- you're going to remember every single thing about me from show 129. Oh, wow. That's a long time ago. All right. So Mindy Jensen was born in the Midwest. Wow, yes. Okay, and she uh, was actually uh, an only child. Yes? No. Okay, she had a lot of siblings, and she uh, (laughs) got into real estate when she was in her 20s by buying a house and then fixing it up and then selling it. Correct. Oh, wow. It was a condo. Oh, condo. Okay. And uh, then she she became a real estate agent, uh, and today Mindy is 29 years old? Yes. Okay, yes, she's 29 years old. 29 years old. And she has been a real estate agent for uh, 18 years? Sure. Okay. And she is uh, an expert at this. So we're going to, that's Mindy's story in a nutshell. Scott, anything you want to add to Mindy's story? Yeah. Mindy has also been investing in real estate for over nine decades. Wow. So a yes. lot of experience here. <laughs> yes. I nine am. Decades. I have this really amazing way to bend math so that I'm 29 years old and I've been investing for nine decades. That's fantastic. That's fantastic. All right, so the, the truth is Mindy has been a real estate agent for how long? Almost five years. Okay, and so you've in that time, you've helped a lot of people sell houses and you've yes. sold a lot of houses yourself. I know you guys do a I've lot sold, of live and flips. I've sold a lot of houses my own self. We so live, it, a live and flip is when you live in please. the property while you're rehabbing it so that you can, and you do the work while you're living there. So it's a nice disaster. But then when you go to sell, you wait for two years after you buy the house to sell the house and then you pay $0 in capital gains taxes up to $250,000 if I was single like Scott. Since I am married, I am exempt up to $500,000. 
That's awesome. One thing I want to chime in here about that is that some people are confused because they were talking about in the new Trump tax code whether or not they were going to actually change this rule so it was going to be four, five, four or five years you had to live in your property. And we're safe. And they had that they had that in one version. And it, what, from my understanding, they actually do not have that in the final version that passed. You can still do this yes. exact same strategy that Mindy was just talking about and exclude those capital gains up to like two hundred fifty or $500,000 for these sales. Which is that the number is one reason you should get married. Right there. So you're going to explain yes, more. Yes, right there. $250,000 right forget, in the bank. Forget love. I, I forget who said this, but someone told me that getting married to uh, save money on taxes is like buying an airline to say, uh, to get free peanuts. So just gotta, I thought that was a good analogy with that one. So That's not right at all. It's totally like buying. It's totally like getting married to save money on taxes. You save so much money. All right, I so. wonder... <laughs> this isn't tax advice. I don't know that you can do this, but like, could I, could Scott be a currently single man and buy a property and fix it up? And then, oh, I'm going to make 400,000. Maybe I'll just get married and get the exemption. Mm. Like, can you do that? I don't know. That's don't a, know. that's an interesting question. If you're a CPA, um, listen to the show. Let us know on Twitter. Mindy at VP is your Twitter handle, right? Twitter handle. That is correct. Let me know if I'm committing tax fraud. I mean, I'm already married. I've been married forever, so I'm not committing tax fraud. But let me know oh, if Scott would good. be. No tax fraud here. All right. So let's let's get to today's uh, show talking about 16 ways to make more money when you sell or, you know, uh, I guess any a house or a property. We will we will separate this. Now, the reason we're talking about this today is specifically because Mindy actually has a, a new book that Bigger Pockets is publishing a new book. And Mindy wrote this book and it is called what, Mindy? How to sell your home. All right. What's, what's it about? <laughs> it's about DIY anesthesiology. Oh, wow. What oh, wow. about? Put you right to sleep. <laughs> oh, my God. I can't believe I walked into that. I can't. That's the end of the show. Goodbye. <laughs> Unlike wow. DIY anesthesiology, this book will not put you to sleep unless you don't care about real estate, in which case you're probably not listening to the show anyway. No, this is the essential guide to a fast, stress-free and profitable sale by me, Mindy Judson. All right. And, and we will obviously talk more about this later and about the launch and all that good stuff uh, later in today's show. Uh, but I just want to give a good preface on why we're talking about this topic today. One, because it's actually really important, especially right now in today's economy. Like the market is really, really good for selling properties. That's why I'm selling off a number of my properties. So I'm looking at my portfolio saying, hey, this is probably the top of the market. We're probably there. We're close anyway. Why not sell some of my you know, ones that maybe were underperforming and then wait when the market crashes, I'll buy a bunch more and then I'll sell again. So anyway, this is a very timely episode and your book is very timely as well because we know this is very, very hot right now, this topic. So without further ado, let's get to 16 ways to sell your property. Number one, Mindy, what do you got? What's our What's your first Number- tip for selling faster or making more or whatever? Making more money. Number one is one that's going to sound like you're not going to make money off of it, but you really are. Have a pre-listing inspection performed by a licensed home inspector. Pre-listing means before you put it on the market, you go and you have the property inspected by a home inspector. And you're going to want to do this for a couple of reasons. First of all, it's not that expensive. Three or $400 will have a home inspector show you exactly what they're looking at and what the buyer's home inspector is looking at. If they find something big or not so big, you can have the you have the opportunity to fix it in advance. Let's say you have a bit of water leaking in through a roof, a, like a hole in the roof. Your buyer is going to freak out when they see this problem. 
on their own home inspection. So when you go and you have the home inspected before you list it, you have the opportunity to fix this problem. All of a sudden your roof doesn't leak. Therefore you don't have to disclose that the roof leaks because it doesn't. There you go. So true life story, I, uh, two weeks ago, well, okay, like two months ago, I put a house for sale. It was a flip I did. Uh, put it for sale. I did not do an inspection ahead of time. And so I put it for sale. I actually never did an inspection when I bought the property. That was mistake number two there. Uh, but I, I thought at the time I walked through it and I was like, this house is great. Like it was in really good shape. What do I need to do an inspection? And I mean, I've been doing this for 12 years. I'm not saying newbies should never do inspection, but I was like, this is in really good shape. There's probably nothing going to come up. I'm just going to go ahead and do it. So I did it, did the flip, went to put it on the market. Got it, got it, an offer right away. Everything was great. Went down to like a week before closing and the appraisal had come back and the appraiser had seen that there was some rot in a beam underneath the house. So then when we're supposed to be closing, we ended up having to get an inspector in there. I mean, a a contractor in there to go do all this work to replace a beam. It cost me like 1500 bucks or something like that to replace this one beam. Really annoying. Push closing out a week, which is money right there. Would have been cheaper to get the inspection. But anyway, then we find out on the day of closing after we recorded that the contractor had lied. He was not an actual licensed contractor. He lied about being licensed. So then I had to send another contractor in to verify all the work and to certify that it was done correctly under their license and bond after the thing closed. Anyway, had I gotten a pre-listing inspection, like Mindy just said, I would have avoided all that, would have probably closed a week earlier and not had that drama and probably saved a bit of money. So there you go. Yeah. Thanks for not taking my advice, Brandon. Yeah, anytime. Or maybe this is my (laughs) fault for not having recorded this show Six months ago. You know, I'm sorry. I, I asked you back then and you were like, no, I don't like you. I hate this. And then, well, and another <laughs> thing to remember is like, I remember going back to my first purchase that I ever got. I'm relying really heavily on this inspection. You know, for most people do not, are not like the people on bigger pockets who buy many realist, many rental properties throughout the course of a lifetime. They're buying one property maybe a two or three in their lifetime. And so when you see, oh, a beam is rotting underneath this thing, that's like an overwhelming problem yes. for someone who's never hired a contractor or never done any of this kind of stuff. And yep. it's it's normal day-to-day business for folks like us. And that's the uh, the power of having that inspection, I think, ahead of time is, is yes, avoiding giving the people that are buying this, making this the biggest financial decision of their life cause to worry unduly about these little things. So I'm a big fan of home inspectors. I think that everybody should have a home inspection unless you are buying the house to completely knock it down to the ground and rebuild. And maybe even then you need to have like a foundation inspection. But I think I am not in any way talking smack about home inspectors, but here she talks about smack. (laughs) Here she talks smack about home inspectors. They will always find something. There is no such thing as a perfect house. It doesn't matter if Brandon Turner himself built it all by hand. It's not going to be perfect. Sorry, Brandon. Uh, So you need somebody, you, you, you get this home inspection, they come in and they list everything. They have a really great ability to make something sound like a giant deal. Yes, they do. There's right. No, yeah. <laughs> it's the language they use or whatever. So you find this, you know, they say there's, there's no GFI outlet by the water, by the sink. And you're like, Oh, okay. That's going to be like a thousand dollars to repair. I'm going to make the seller do it. It's like a $4 fix or yep. maybe $10. I can't remember what a GFI outlet costs, but like, it's not a big deal. On the other hand, if you don't know what's going on, if this is your first purchase or, you know, you could see all these little things add up and think, Oh, this house is just not ever going to, it's going to fall apart tomorrow. So you have the pre-listing inspection as the seller. 
you see everything that the uh, buyer is going to see, and then you have the opportunity to fix it. Or maybe there's not that much wrong. You are missing the GFI outlet by the kitchen sink. So you go and repair it. You've got a very short list with your pre-inspection. Uh, you can give that to the buyer and say, hey, here's the list of the things that the, the pre-inspector saw. Here's everything I fixed. So now you don't have to have your own inspection. If I was your agent, I would recommend, yes, you should absolutely have your own own home inspection. But in a hot market, this could be all that the buyer needs to make the offer. They see you fixed everything. They see that it's a licensed inspector and they forego their inspection. I'm not suggesting that foregoing inspection is the best idea for a buyer. I'm not suggesting that you're like trying to pull one over on the buyer, but it could be, you know, every inspector is different. So what your inspector finds, maybe the next inspector would find something slightly different that you didn't catch, but it's still totally worth the three or $400 it costs to get the inspection done. All right. I like it. Good tip. By the way, just one more side note, because I like telling stories. Uh, I sold a flip one time. The inspector had written on there, the siding has failed. It's just those, those like four <laughs> words, the siding has failed. Well, what it was, was there was a little bit of rot in the bottom six inches on one side of the house. You know, go cut off the bottom six inches, replace it, it just wood siding. No, the seller refused to buy the house unless we replaced 100% of the siding because the inspector said the siding has failed. Even when the inspector said, well, I'm just talking about this one section. They said, no, you said it failed. And uh, we ended up spending like eight grand to get that deal done. And that was when it was, the market was really crappy. And so like we, there weren't a lot of buyers out there. To. So we had to, I mean, today I'd be like, no, screw you. But <laughs> I mean, yeah. like back then I was like, fine. So I, we replaced all the siding, repainted the entire house because it had wow anyway i love inspectors yeah they're great all right number two (laughs) listen a home inspector is a good person to have in your toolbox i will not allow you to talk smack about them no i i love home inspectors but man they can they can they can make things sound bad all right number two what is it mindy what do you got clean up your home it's obvious though isn't it come on everyone knows that don't they you know what as, as an agent, I go through a lot of houses. I want to keep up on my local market, even if I don't have clients that I'm helping buy houses at this moment. I go through every house that comes on the market in my like farm area in my local town. And nobody knows this tip. Honest to God, <laughs> nobody knows this tip. When I was little, my mom made me uh, take off my shoes when I came into the house because she had she bought a house with white carpeting. I don't know why that's even a thing. And I'm in the habit of taking off my shoes as soon as I walk into a house. But as a real estate agent, I am firmly getting out of that habit because people's houses are so disgusting. You walk in the door and you're like, Oh, what is that? Like you take off your shoes cause you're not thinking. And then you step on something crunchy or gritty. Like there's don't have dirty dishes in the sink. Don't have like clean your floor, sweep and buy, vacuum and, or hire somebody like cleaning up your house just automatically puts your house head and shoulders above every other property because they're not clean. Nobody understands how to clean. And this, this also applies to decluttering. Nobody wants your stuff. When you move out, all of your stuff is going to be gone. If you are a landlord, this is going to be a little bit different. If you're a flipper, all of your tools need to be picked up. All of everything needs to be gone. And even if you're just showing an empty house, have it clean, sweep the floors. Don't look like a gross house. Yeah. And and I'll say, if you're, if you're like me, I'm not a very clean person. In fact, uh, as I'm recording this podcast, I've shoved all of the crap in my office just below the <laughs> sight line of this computer. Here, I'll, I'll give a quick little glance at the piles of junk in here. Hire a professional to clean your place because that they're just going to be able to, to do it in a very efficient manner and move all of the junk out of the way. I think that that, you know, 
when I do that before I, I list any of my properties for rent and I'd certainly do it if, before selling a, a place. Yeah. And it's not that expensive to have somebody come in, but they're really good. They're really efficient. If you don't want to clean, I wouldn't say you're not a clean person, Scott. I would say you're, you're not the tidiest person I've ever met in my life. <laughs> yeah, you should see my car. Yeah. <laughs> I have seen your car. It, it's beautiful. Uh, yeah. I, I'm a, I'm a big fan of that as well. In fact, that was one of my favorite thing. Like my favorite first outsourcing gigs in my life. Like when I would do houses, whether rental or flips, when I started outsourcing the cleaning, like I realized like professional cleaners charge like nothing. Like I feel bad. They make like nothing. And like, they, they do a really good job a hundred times better than I could ever do. So it was like, at the end of the day, I'd get like a bill for like $150 for like, they worked for a whole day. And I'm like, wow, you did an amazing job for like, it would have taken me a week to clean that house. But I'm always surprised because it's not like a high paying job. I mean, that 15 bucks an hour, maybe 20 bucks an hour, you can get most people to clean your house for. So anyway, get a house cleaner. Yeah, definitely hire a house cleaner if you're not willing to put in the time to do it. But, you know, get rid of your stuff when, let's say you're having a personal property that you're cleaning. You have things in your house. Nothing in your house is going to stay there. You know, your table's not going to stay there. Your pictures aren't going to stay there. Your dog isn't going to stay there. Pick up all these things that you don't need every day and put them away. Get a head start on packing and just get the stuff out of your house. You want it, you want it to look like nobody lives there. Yep. There you go. All right. Number three, what do you got? Oh, does it pass the sniff test? What's the sniff My test? My neighbors. The sniff test is you walk in and you're like, Ooh, (laughs) that did not pass the sniff test. My neighbors were selling their house. I know they have two big dogs because I live right next door to them. And I went and viewed their house anyway. And I walk in and I'm like, oh my God, it smells like a wet dog (laughs) in here. Like, like the dog had been out for a month and came in. It was really gross. (laughs) And then the next, I showed it to a client. The next time I came in, it was very flowery with an undertone of wet dog. Nobody is going to walk into your house. Nobody that you know is going to walk into your house and say, wow, your house smells like garbage. But if your house smells like garbage, the people that are walking in to buy it are going to walk right back out again and say, no, thank you. Um, Or they're going to offer a really, really, really low price. Like what do they say? Cat pee smells like money on bigger pockets in the forums. They walk in, smells like money. It doesn't smell like money to you as the seller. It It smells like money to the buyer because they know it's not that difficult to get rid of the smell. It isn't that difficult to get, for you to get rid of the smell either. So ask your real estate agent, ask a f- trusted friend who will come over and give you an honest opinion. What does my house smell like? And if they say anything other than, wow, I don't smell anything, you need to fix it. You need to, uh, you can rent something called an ozonator at like a big box home improvement store. You can rent, you can go through and see what are some other ways to deodorize your house. Dishes of vinegar little dishes of white vinegar around the house. The vinegar kind of sucks up the smell. Dishes of charcoal briquettes will also suck up the smell. My, I had an aunt and uncle who used to smoke like crazy. And when they'd come to my parents' house, they'd just smoke in the house, which I think is weird now. But at the time it was like the thing. And then every time they'd leave, my mom would put these little dishes of vinegar all over the house and these little plates of charcoal briquettes. And it would take a couple of days, but the smoke smell would be gone. I never knew that. One thing I've also... One thing I've also heard is that some sometimes folks will won't like the smell of like the cleaning materials as well. So if you have a lot of if you're doing a lot of cleaning at the same time as trying to remove the smell, which is probably going to be happening at the same time, the tip was bake a bunch of cookies. I don't know if I'm going to take that tip, okay. but you know if your house smells like fresh baking, that can help maybe overpower some of these other the, the cleaning materials and those kinds of smells. Is that yeah? That's at all? a good tip too. 
And no, that's a really good tip because when you walk into a house that somebody's been baking cookies or baking an apple pie, it smells amazing. And you don't even actually have to bake something. You can just put a couple of caps of vanilla into like a baking dish and stick that in the oven for 350 for a few minutes. It makes the whole house smell beautiful and you don't actually have to cook anything. Wow. Quick tip. Quick tip. All right. (laughs) So I would caution against using just like air fresheners. Those start to get really sickly sweet. And like sometimes you can walk in and you're like, oh, I can taste that air freshener. It's like it's too strong and overpowering and it doesn't remove the smell. It just covers it up. Oh, we are all three idiots. What about Febreze? Have you ever used Febreze? I actually bought a car once, which is not a house, but the same thing. I bought a car and the guy before me had, yeah, well, okay. (laughs) We'll talk about that later. Um, The guy before me used to smoke cigars in the car with the windows up. It was really gross, but I had no money and I had to buy a car. I took a bottle of Febreze and I sprayed it all over the car and it took two entire bottles. It was really, really infested, but two entire bottles of Febreze, which is what, like $4 a bottle. And every smell was gone in this car. That's impressive. I mean, that's what their whole campaign is right on the commercial. That's like, have you, have you got yeah. nose blind? Yeah. Yes. Well, don't go nose blind. Get a bottle of Febreze. Wow. And today's episode is sponsored by Febreze. No, no. Yeah. <laughs> Scott, you can get on that. Get, get Febreze to sponsor the Bigger Pockets podcast. All right. Number, <laughs> number four. What do you got, Mindy? Number four, take great pictures of your house. Uh, so good. Yep. Okay. There's this tip that I have heard from a lot of different real estate agents about how you want to get as many people as you can through the house. No, you don't, you, you don't win a prize for having 500 showings and no offers. (laughs) You want to get as many targeted people into your house as possible and using things like wide angle lenses or funky angles when you're taking pictures of the home, aren't going to change the actual layout of the house. They will get people through the door, but nobody is going to buy the house based on the pictures on the internet. They're going to buy the house based on what's in the actual house. So there's a house in my neighborhood. I remember this because I actually got on my stomach to try and figure out what angle they shot this room from. It looked like an actual bedroom, eight foot ceilings, you know, 10 by 10 or whatever. It was actually a four foot nook under the stairs that they had (laughs) They had shot with such a crazy angle that it looked like an actual bedroom. And I was walking around the house and like, oh, it had a very distinct painting paint job on the sides. Like, where's that one room? And I see it under the stairs. I'm like, are you kidding me? This is not a bedroom. This is like, you can't even put a bookshelf in here. So don't take great pictures with funky angles and, you know, fancy whatever. Take excellent pictures of your house as it is. If there's warts on it, show the warts because those are going to show up when people walk through the house. There you go. Uh, like so, what about, what about uh, lighting? Is that? Yeah, I was just going to ask the same thing. When I, when I take, when I've, I've noticed that when I take pictures that are really brilliantly lit, they just happen to look a little better. Is that something that, that you found as well? Yes. So actually in the book on how to sell your home, I give you DIY photography tips. My husband takes pictures of every house I list because he's a really great photographer. He takes them with some like random camera. He doesn't have a lot of fancy equipment, but he takes his time. He stages the property. He, you know, looks through the camera and looks at, takes a bunch of different angles, turns on different lights in different places. And yeah, lighting is really important. You have to have pretty much all the lights on. And some rooms are actually going to photograph better at night versus 
during the day. And so when he'll go back multiple times during the day and take a bunch of pictures. And I don't think it looks weird to have the living room with a photo, photo, with a picture. (laughs) I can't even talk. I don't think it looks weird to have a living room with a picture taken at night versus the kitchen has the picture taken during the day. You want to showcase the house in the best light that you can, the real house in the best light that you can. Right. Also, I when I bought my first property, it had snowed the day before, and the yard was terrible. And I didn't get to see that because the snow was uh, the snow was on top of it. So maybe that helps as well if if they're if if you're trying to cover that up, you know. But yeah, wait until it snows. Um, I would not recommend that as a seller that you wait until it snows. Uh, as the buyer, I I saw a property when it snowed. The snow covered up the roof problems. So then when I went to sell. I'm like, what do you mean it needs a new roof? Let me go back to my inspection. I never would have bought a house that needed a new roof. No, nope, needs a new roof. The inspector even noted, oh, I can't view this due to snow. I'll come back. So he came back. He went up on the top. He's like, yep, needs a new roof. Oh, <laughs> Great. Awesome. <laughs> so, all right. That detour. That's all right. I like it. All right. Number five. What do you got? Number five is the two-parter. Be available is the general. Be okay. available. Uh, number Like romantically? One, be available. Yes. A you can't sell that. a house if you're married. <laughs> uh, Scott. You can actually sell a house you. tax-free <laughs> if you're married, I thought, right? That was the whole point of what we were, do- what we're doing earlier. You should get married. Get married to avoid the, tap- the capital gains in this. <laughs> okay. Be available. Part one of that is be available for any questions. If your real estate agent cannot get in touch with you to ask a question that the buyer has, the buyer may get really frustrated with you and just move on to the next house. If your real estate agent can't get in touch with you for you know any other reason, you're going to just harm your sale by not being available for questions. So share all the information you can with your real estate agent, but the buyer is always going to have some question that you forgot to share with your agent. The second part of that is be available for showings at almost any time. Your buyers want to see the house on their schedule. They don't want to see the house on your schedule. And if they're driving past and they see the outside of your house that looks amazing because you've already fixed it up, and they they call you to say, hey, can I see the house? Oh, sorry, it's not ready is not a good answer. They're not going to come back most likely. So being available to have the showings, that means keeping the house in show condition at every moment. Even if you have young kids, even if you have pets, it's one thing when they're they're driving past and they're like, oh, can we just come in and see the house? Oh, let me just take the dog to the backyard. That's very different than, hey, we've got a schedule. We're going to show your house tomorrow at noon. Oh, sorry, that doesn't work for me. You want to sell your house. So make yourself as available. Make your house as available as it possibly can be. Yeah. I love it. What about, um, and maybe you don't cover this one, but what about if you have tenants? How do you, have, uh, how do you get them to maintain a clean house for when you're trying to sell? Is that? Good luck with that. So <laughs> I think- I think you should incentivize your tenants. What I see a lot of times in the Bigger Pockets forums, biggerpockets.com slash forums, is people will say, oh, I'm going to sell my property. I don't know if I should tell my tenant or not. Yes, you should tell your tenant. You don't want to surprise them, even if they're the reason that you're selling. This is still where they live. You don't want to surprise them by having people, oh, by the way, we're going to have somebody come look at your house tomorrow. And you actually can't do that, can you? you? That's illegal to just walk into somebody's house. You have to give them notice. To before you can walk in. But it's just, it's a courtesy to tell them that you're selling the house. You want them to present the house in its best light. So you're going to have to incentivize them to uh, have the house looking nice. Maybe you pay for the cleaner to come in. Maybe you offer them a rent credit if they don't cancel showings. But 
it's it's definitely more difficult to sell a property that is that has a tenant in it. And I was actually showing clients a house with tenants in it. And I walk in and I'm like, oh, gross. Like, of course, they don't own a vacuum. They don't know what a broom is. But there's like dirty dishes in the sink and food on the counter. And the whole thing smelled like smoke. And my client was like, I don't want to buy this house. This is disgusting. So you, I think you should definitely view the, the, the tenant's house beforehand. And honestly, if they're gross, you may just want to wait until after their tendency has ended before you need to sell the house. Or maybe hire a cleaner or something, right? And you just say, hey, hey guys, free house cleaning for you guys. It's like <laughs> valued at 300 bucks. They're going to be in there for like eight hours this Saturday, just scrubbing away. It's going to be great. You're going to love it. Yes. <laughs> and if you have a hot market, you can uh, arrange it. So you have the cleaner come in and then you have like an open house where the tenants are out of the out of the property while you're selling or while yeah. you're showing it. Um, but I think you're right work. on... I think you're right on the try not to sell a house with a tenant in there. If you can avoid that, that yeah. that mm-hmm. makes life a lot easier not to have that. Yeah, I one time I actually offered a tenant. I think it was a thousand. I told them I'd give them a thousand dollars if they kept their house clean and somebody bought their house. You know, uh, and they ended up actually moving out before somebody made an offer. But yeah, that was my plan. I was like, well, I'll just give them a thousand bucks, and but it was contingent on them, you know, being able to help sell the house. Uh, and so yeah. that was my my yeah. theory at the time. If you do have to sell it with a tenant in in place, I recommend working with the tenant, asking them when is your ideal time to show houses? When is a time that just doesn't work for you? And if they're working with you, maybe even give their phone number to the showing agency so that or the scheduling agency so that they can make the appointments themselves. I would caution that if they start canceling a lot of appointments or denying a lot of appointments, then maybe you take that privilege away from them. But it's their house. What do you care when the showing is? Cool. All right. We are on number, that was number five. So what are we on? Number six? Number six. All right. What do you got? Be informative. If you've updated anything in the property, share that information. Let's say you have a whole new kitchen. When did you do the kitchen? Who did the, who performed the work? What work was done? It's all new pipes or it's just brand new electric or it's just cabinets. Like tell them what you've done. This is especially helpful in a flip situation where you bought the house at X, you put in so much work and now you're selling it for significantly more or trying to sell it for significantly more. Every buyer who has an agent has an agent who can look up when the house last sold. Oh, it sold five months ago for a hundred thousand dollars less. Why? You want to just share with them all the things you've done and any on, on the other side, you want to share what needs work. It needs a new roof and I'm not going to put it in there. Don't try to hide that. Share everything up front because again, the goal is to get the most targeted buyers through the door. There's no prize for having a ton of buyers with no offers. Good. Maybe Scott will give you a prize. Scott does. I think prizes. it is. I'll give you a copy of my book if you have 500 <laughs> showings with no offer. Yeah. <laughs> nope. You'll get nothing. No. I like I that. Know. I think that's good. I think I think also like have you ever heard the phrase people buy with emotion? No, they're sold with emotion. What was it? They're like it's like they buy with emotion but they justify with logic, right? So like they want the house, they like the house. Uh, but when they see, "Hey, it's got a new roof on it. We don't have to put a roof on for 30 years." Then that's the logic they need to justify it, making an offer to justify it to their spouse, to themselves, to their, you know, significant other, whoever. Um, hey, look at all this work that's been done. This is why it's a good deal. But in reality, nobody buys a house because it's a good deal. I mean, investors do, but most homeowners, especially, they buy a house because they want to buy that house. They like it. It's cute and they like it, but they don't want to say that in their head. So they have to justify it with look at all the work that has been done lately. And that's another reason why it's good to, yeah, list, list what you've done. 
Smart. Yes, absolutely. And, you know, don't hide issues because they're going to come out anyway. And then you look like a skis. That is true. Is that that a word you just made up or is that a word? I don't know. Skis. Brandon, we used that. (laughs) Well, I used skeezy a couple Uh, of episodes ago. All right. Well, skeezy. I like skeezy. That's a pretty good word. All right. (laughs) Number seven. Know your competition. So your house is not going to be the only house on the market. While you hopefully have priced your property correctly, which is a tip down the road. Well, hopefully you've priced your property correctly. You don't know if that's actually the right price until you see what other houses are going for in the general area. You want your agent to send you a list of comparable prices, comparable properties. Like you've got a three bedroom, two bath house that you're listing at 200,000. You want to see all the three bedroom, two bath houses. Like you want to get a listing of all the three twos from like 150 to 250 or 175 to 225. So you can see what other people are offering at that price. If everybody else is offering granite countertops and stainless steel appliances and hardwood floors, and you've got crappy old carpeting and laminate flooring or laminate countertops and white appliances, your house is not going to sell for the same price that those other ones are. Yeah. So you definitely have to know your competition. You want to get competitive listings. And if you're having a hard time coming up with a price for your property, ask your agent to take you into the actual properties that are being listed at the prices that you're that you're considering. Let's say your agent is offer is saying you should list it at 175 and you think you should go to two. Have your agent show you something at 175 and show you something at two so you can see what's actually currently on the market and where buyers are going after they've left your house. There you go. Yeah, I think I it's a, I think it's a fantastic tip. I mean, I don't I don't like, yeah, <laughs> it is. That's good. All right, well, I'm moving on. Scott yeah. is speechless. Number nine or number eight? No, eight, number eight. eight. Number don't skip eight. number eight. Scott Come does not on, know Scott. how to do his numbers. Whew. He hasn't learned numbers yet. <laughs> All right, number, <laughs> okay. Number, number blue. Eight. Number blue is use an agent. Why, Mindy? I don't want to use an agent. I can. I don't want to give them six percent. Oh, what? <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm, I'm going off on a tangent in my head. Okay. Number eight is use an agent. I have sold FSBO before, before I was an agent. What is and FSBO? I, what does that mean? Oh, what a great question, Brandon. Thanks. Thank you. FSBO stands for for sale by owner, meaning you are selling the home by yourself without a real estate agent. Okay. And this sounds like a really awesome idea. Oh, I'm going to save all this money because while it is a violation of the Sherman antitrust laws to say there is a set rate of a commission, commissions hover between like five to 6%. So that's five or 6% of the entire sales price you are paying to somebody else to help you sell your house. And this sounds like a huge chunk and it is, but studies show that houses sell on average for like 15% less than when they're sold for sale by owner than they do when they're sold with an agent, even accounting for commissions and things like that. It costs, it it takes more time to sell for sale by owner. And I have to, I have to say I am a licensed agent, but it's just, it's a lot easier to sell when you use an agent. So if you're looking to make the most money for your house, statistics don't lie. What about, what about if, what about if I'm uh, attempting to uh, sell my place and I decide to get my license? You know, maybe somebody's thinking that maybe their place is worth a lot of money, like five or $600,000 more. And they're like, Hmm, you know, 3% or, you know, of this is going to be, what is 3%, 15 grand or 60, you know, even more. Should I get, consider getting my license to sell my own home so I can, you know, avoid missing those advantages? Good question. So 
That is a good question. If you are getting ready to sell your house and you have a timeline, a deadline to get your house sold, I don't think learning your market and becoming a real estate agent and going through the coursework and getting the background check and all of that is a good choice for you at this time. I mean, if you already have an agent's license, then sure, you can go ahead and try and sell it. But if you don't know your market completely, you don't have a lot of time to sell your house. It, it, getting your license is just a, I don't want to call it silly, but it's a silly endeavor. <laughs> All right. <laughs> you know, and, and one of the main reasons that you use an agent is because they know the market, presumably. I mean, I, I'm not recommending that you get an agent that doesn't know the market. You want to sell your house for the most money. You use an agent who's got connections, who can help you sell your house in the time frame that you need to sell it in. I love it. Yeah. Well, one thing one thing I'll throw in there though is that just because you're using an agent doesn't mean that it's still your responsibility to make sure that your house is ready to sell, right? All these tips that you've been giving, you know, these are things people will hire agents and not and leave their house smelly or leave it messy. Yes, and not I know. I go into those houses. <laughs> it's like it, it it's like it's just not just like you hire an agent, they're gonna take care of everything for you. It's you hire an agent and you plan on doing all of the work necessary to get this property ready to sell and get it in good condition so that you can, you know, this is perhaps the second biggest financial transaction of your life to this point, right? You're the with buying the property in the first place being the first. So I think that I think that that's something that, you know. A, a point of this is, hey, use an agent, but don't rely on that agent to do the things that are necessary to basically present your home in the in the best possible light. Yeah, and that's and a really know, good point. And be informed going in. That's yeah. a really good point. So yes, you should absolutely use an agent, but the agent is not going to come clean your house. The agent is not going to make sure it doesn't smell. The agent is not going to be able to answer all the questions that somebody may have about your house if you haven't given them the information. And the agent is not going to have a pre-listing inspection performed. They're not going to come clean your house. They're not going to take great pictures of your house. Almost exclusively, if your agent takes pictures of your house, they're not going to look great. Yeah. And I don't mean to, I don't mean to talk smack about agents, but they're not photographers. My husband Correct. is just multi-talented. Now, now um, a follow, follow-up question is, how do we find a good agent who will do some of those things or will encourage you to do some of those things? Just pick a name out of a hat. It'll be fine. <laughs> so my friend who knows me, knows my job, knows that I love real estate. She decided that she didn't want to live in her house anymore. It was her first property. She wanted to sell it and buy something new. She's driving down the road and literally sees a sign in the yard. Like as soon as she's kind of impulsive, as soon as she decided she wanted to sell her house, she's like, bam, there's an agent sign. I'm going to call that person up. She calls up this woman, says, I want you to help me sell my house and buy another one. Of course, the agent's like, woohoo, dollars. <laughs> List the house too high does not communicate with this with this friend at all. She doesn't give her any sort of advice. There was some problem with the buyer, like they missed closing. And my friend was like, wait, wasn't I supposed to close today? No communication for the longest time. Finally, it closed, I think two months after it was supposed to. Whoa. She finds a new property to buy. She doesn't understand how a home inspection works. She thought that when she has the home inspection, the inspector will just give her a list of things that are wrong. And you turn that over to the buyer and the buyer fixes everything. But she didn't fill out an inspection objection form. She didn't ask for the, anything to be fixed. So then the, the objection deadline passes because her agent didn't give her any advice. And she's now she's stuck. I mean, there wasn't a lot. Luckily, there wasn't a lot that needed to be fixed. But there was a lock missing from the sliding glass door that she had to put in herself. And, you know, just a couple of things that 
were very reasonable requests if she would have made them on time. So yeah. how do you find an agent? Drive by a sign and just pick a name out of a hat. Um, <laughs> no, you want to ask your friends. If you are selling an investment property, ask some investor friends. Who has sold your properties in the past? Who would you recommend? And just as importantly is who would you not work with again? There, you know, maybe you yep. come across this woman who was a terrible investor, or uh, a terrible agent for my sister, I would absolutely not recommend to work with this woman ever again. I wouldn't recommend anybody work with this woman. I don't know who she'd be good for. She's definitely not good for first time sellers. So if you are not selling an investment property, ask your friends, who did you, who helped you buy your house? Who helped you sell your house last time and get some recommendations from them and then interview them. Ask them if you buy how to sell your home. You will get a copy of an agent, real estate agent questionnaire form. Ask the agents questions. You don't have to call up one agent and say, oh, I guess I'm stuck with you. You can interview a lot of different agents and you want somebody who communicates the way you want to communicate, who is informed of the neighborhood, who really knows the area well, and who can help you sell the house in the time frame you need to sell it. I love it. I think that this is such an important point because, you know, it's too many people I think are just helpless. They go to the agent and they wait for them to bring them a deal. And they're like, oh, that sounds pretty good. Great. You know, or whatever. They're unable to rec- spot competence and fire incompetence. And you got to give yourself the, the tool set necessary to be able to do that at minimum. And you can just do that in a couple hours by reading this book, for example, and knowing <laughs> what kind of questions to ask your a potential agent so that they can you can set yourself, you can hire someone who's competent and capable enough to set you up for success with, again, what is a huge financial decision in almost everyone's life. Yes, this is an enormous financial decision. I really like what you just said, fire incompetence. People are hesitant to fire incompetence. If your agent is not working out for you, despite asking questions and interviewing a bunch of people, make sure you realize that you can get rid of that. You can fire that agent. And that might be in your best interest is to fire that agent. There you go. I also talk about that in How to Sell Your Home. Well, speaking of that book, let's jump in here real quick. We are we are just done with tip number eight. We got 16 total, so we got the other half coming up. And the, half, the second half is a little bit shorter than the first half. So if you're listening, we're not going yes, for another is. 50 minutes. But I do want to talk about the book here for a minute. So, Mindy, first of all, How to Sell Your House. What was the whole goal of writing the book? So the goal is there's this guy named Morgan Housel. He writes for the MotleyFool.com. He is brilliant and knows everything there is to know about finances. And he wrote an article a couple of years ago. Uh, it's, I guess it's a couple of years ago now that said, here's everything I didn't know about buying a house when I bought my first house, like six months ago. And I'm like, wait a second. You don't know something that I know. That's amazing. Cause he's <laughs> so smart. He knows everything. So for him to not know this, I'm like, you know what, if he doesn't know it, there's a lot of other people that don't know it either. And he was buying a house and we, we wrote the, how to sell your house book first, because we do work for biggerpockets.com. And there is a lot of, there are a lot of investors on the site who may have been buying as the market is increasing. And now people are asking, is it time to sell? Yep. Yes. But if you've never sold a house before, you have no idea what you don't know. So I took all the information that I have from years of investing and buying and selling. And I put it into a book so that people won't have to ask questions. This was further cemented when I was on the forums a few weeks ago and somebody said, hey, I didn't know I needed title insurance. Oh, that's a big thing. So I covered the things like you don't know that you need title insurance if nobody tells you you need title insurance. So that's why I wrote the book. So people can can have a, a firm grasp on how to sell a house 
or a home. And, and of course, your agent should be telling you that you need title insurance and that kind of stuff. But yes. the idea, the other part of it is, is there's a lot of agents out there that may not be so competent. And and again, having that self-education, putting, you know, l- l- bothering to learn about this stuff before you go through it can save you tens, maybe even hundreds of thousands of dollars over time. Yeah. Yes. Yes, absolutely. So, and you know, if you've done something a hundred times in a row, do you remember what the step one is? Like, do you remember to tell people what step 37 is? <laughs> you might not, you might skip a step because you just know to do it. So anyway, that's why I wrote the book. That's awesome. Uh, so where can, where can people get it at? Biggerpockets.com slash sell your home, right? Biggerpockets.com slash sell your home. Perfect. And we are, uh, as we do with book launches, we just did a book launch like a month ago with uh, David Green's book, The Long Distance Investing. And uh, we we like to overwhelm people with value when you buy it right away. And so uh, during the launch, which I believe is the first two weeks, we're going to call it the first two weeks, which would be, uh, comes out on January 11th, which is today, if you're listening to this show when it comes out. Uh, so until January 25th, if you, if you buy it by then... Uh, you're going to get a whole ton of cool bonuses, including some interviews. You got a book on, what is it? Mindy, tell me about the book. I can't remember the title of it. I got it written here somewhere. How to Sell Your Home. No, the, bonu- your no, home. no, no the, bo- the bonus <laughs> book that comes with it. The bonus the book. The bonus book, the, the ebook is called Selling Your Investment Property. Ah, there we there go. Is a, there's a video with my absolute number one top tip for selling your home. There uh-huh. are video interviews with experts in the real estate field for uh, selling your house. I've got uh, a video about painting tips, some DIY fixing up your house painting tips. And if you purchase before January 25th, you will get access to the webinar that Dave Meyer and I are hosting called the ins and outs of selling rental properties. Perfect. I love it. It is a live webinar. I love, I love those things because they're good for Q&A. Like we just did one with David Green's launch just a few, uh, like a week ago. It was amazing. We went for like an hour and 45 minutes of just questions with David about like buying out of state, um, you know, long distance. It was fantastic. So I'm looking forward to this one as well. Cause like, here's the cool thing about, about this book is that like anybody who is ever going to sell a house ever, if there's one tip, which there's a million tips in this book, but if there's one tip that helps you just improve the sales price by 0.01%, you know, like, it pays for itself 10 times over or, you know, like, so that's why I yeah. love the books like this is because like books that are just like how to bunch of tips. Like, yeah, we know a lot of these things. We're smart. We've, we've sold houses. Some of us and some of us, you know, feel like we're smart at the same time. Like if there's one, two things that can help you, man, it just, it's totally worth reading. And I think again, there's hundreds of cool things in this book. So pick it up biggerpockets.com slash sell your home. Oh, and also it's on uh, you can get it on Amazon and Barnes and Noble, right? Yeah, yes. So cool. Wherever so books pick it up sold. wherever books are sold. All right. So moving on, let's go to number nine, Mindy. Number nine, what do you got? Ask your agent for selling advice. You've already chosen a good agent and now you want to pick their brain. Part of having them be your agent is using their experiences, which is market specific. I can sit here and tell you all about how to sell your house, but I can't tell you how to sell a house in Cleveland, Ohio, because I've never sold a house in Cleveland, Ohio. If you're trying to sell your house in Cleveland, Ohio, you want a Cleveland, Ohio agent, and then you want to pick their brain. What do I need to do to get this house sold? Awesome. I love it. Yep. Perfect. Number nine. That was That's nine. number nine. Number no, what, 10. I'm saying, what is number? Oh, that was number nine. That was I number can't 10. count today. Good grief. Numbers right. are hard. Number Numbers yellow. Are hard. Number 10. Number 10 is price your house right. You may be tempted to price it at slightly or even significantly higher than what it's actually worth, but that's a bad choice. And the reason is 
your buyers are seeing everything else that's on the market at the regular or reasonable prices, and they're going to pass your house over. As your house sits on the market without an offer, without selling, it gathers days on market or DOM time, which makes the house look like there's something wrong with it, especially in a really hot market. There's a house around the corner for me that's been on the market for like 700 days. (laughs) Everything else in my market is selling instantly for over asking price, all cash offers, no contingencies, yada, yada, because we're in such a hot market. But this house sits and sits and sits. It's about $50,000 priced too high. And that's not at that price point. That's not a significant amount of money, but it's a significant enough amount of money that nobody's buying the house. So it just sits there. And now it looks like there's something wrong with the house because it's a a stale listing. So price it right. Get it sold. There was a uh, property I, I flipped uh, back, I don't know, this is probably six years ago now. Um, and I, I listed it at $170,000 because I thought that was like top of the market, but I thought this is the best house ever. So I can get the top of the market in this neighborhood. Um, it sat on the market for, I think it was 10 months before we got an offer. It took a year to actually find the close, you know, like the, it took a year beginning to end on the market to sell the thing. And I ended up selling it for 120. Like we dropped the price that much from 170 down to 120 just to sell it. Ended up losing money on that flip. It was the only flip I ever lost money on. Because I, I, and I got really believe, yeah, I got greedy. Had I just listed it at the 150 where it probably should have been, 155, I probably would have gotten an offer right away. But the longer it sat on the market before I started dropping the price, it just got longer and longer and longer days on the market. Now, granted, this was the, the pit of real estate hell back in like 2012. I think it was when I listed this thing. But still, like, I shouldn't have been greedy. I should have just taken the money. I just was looking at dollar signs and I'm like, oh, I'm gonna make so much money. I can get a lot of money. No. No, stupid. And even if I could have, I probably wouldn't have gotten uh, the appraisal to justify it. So they would have had to probably drop the price anyway. So, Yeah, exactly. How, how do I know if my agent is listing it too high or perhaps too low? How can they present the price that they want to list it at to me in such a way that I can have confidence they know what they're doing? That's a great question. You should ask them why they are recommending this price point. Ask them to yeah. justify their price. They should use words like comps or comparable properties. And a comp is not a house that is currently on the market. A comp is a property that has sold recently in your area that is uh, comparable to your house. Like you don't want a comp when you're trying to sell your three, two, you don't want a comp of a six, four. You want a comp of three twos that are selling around the same time that yours is Uh, one or two months, three months in a hot market and six months, maybe even 12 months in a really slow market. But you definitely want to see what other houses are selling for, because that's what makes the house worth what it's worth. It isn't how much money you put into the house. It isn't how pretty you painted the walls. It's what other houses are selling for in the area at the time of sale. Yeah. Can I I talk about one more thing with this? Is is something that occurred to me the last few years. I used to look at like the, the sales price and thought, well, let's just say I dropped my price on a property by $20,000, but I so, but it took me, you know, four months longer to sell it. We'll say, right. Like when I looked at that, I was like, well, that's like 5,000. Am I doing the math right? $5,000 a month. So, I mean, my mortgage payment is only a thousand. So I might as well just keep the property on the market at the higher price because it's worth it. However, what I've discovered is like the, the opportunity cost is what I'm really losing. I'm not just losing out on the, on the expenses of holding a property for three, four, five months longer. I'm losing out on the fact that I'm not buying more real estate for the next three, four, five months because my money is all tied up into a deal. So just those investors out there listening, you know, thinking they're trying to get top dollar, you know, they really want to get the top amount. Like ask yourself, how much are you losing by not dropping your price? How much are you slowing down on your ambitions? What are you, you know, what are you holding yourself back from by not lowering your price? So there's some tips for you. That's a good point. All right. Another 
Another tactic that some people use is to price the house really, really low in the hopes that they're going to instigate a bidding war. I don't like this tactic personally. I find it disingenuous to list a house that's $200,000 at like $150,000. I think if you list the price, list the property at that price, you should be willing to accept that price. Maybe somebody finds thinks that they find a really great deal and they're, you know, disappointed that they didn't get this house at 150 when it's really not ever going to be in their price range anyway. But that said, if it's a $200,000 price, that's a real psychological stop. So people will put their their price range in basically in $25,000 increments, $50,000 increments. If I'm looking for a house for $185,000, I'm going to look for 175 to 200 because maybe the guy at 200 will come down. Maybe he's listed it and didn't pay attention to me and listed it way too high and now has to come down because nobody's buying his house. But Listing it at, if it's a $200,000 house, listing it at one ninety five may have people come in and say, oh, this is a good deal. I'm going to make an offer at one ninety five, or I'm going to go over asking so I can definitely get this house going and they'll go up a little bit. They might even instigate a bidding war, but it's not a disingenuous bidding war. It's instead of one ninety five, you get one ninety seven five or something. So you're still getting about what you need. You don't have to drop the price because maybe you're a little bit overpriced and you're not hitting that psychological barrier of $200,000. That makes sense to me. Awesome. I I think it's a great, great tip. I think we're, let me try this. Let me see if I can get this right this time. Number 11. Ooh, good job. Scott figured out numbers. We're on number purple. Sorry, Scott. (laughs) Number purple. (laughs) All right. List in peak market time. The whole point of this podcast is 16 ways to make more money when you sell your property. Selling it in the dead of winter is not the peak market time for you to get the most money. Buyers are looking in the spring. The weather's not so crappy. Kids are finishing up the current school year and moving on to the next school year. There's a big space in the middle for summer where you can move and have a nice time, you know, move smoothly. So spring is when everybody is out looking at houses. And if you want the most money for your house, you want to be where the buyers are. And that's listening in the spring. Can't right. argue with that. Can't argue yep. with that because it's true. Well, and I will, I will add one tip on there. If you are a landlord thinking about selling your investment properties and you want it vacant, you don't have to do, I mean, unless your state law says differently, but you don't have to do one year leases. Uh, well, there's been times where I know that I'm going to sell a property. So I will deliberately do a six month lease or an 18 month lease just so that it ends at the peak selling time, which is usually late spring for me because nobody buys a house around, you know, in the middle of the winter. So at least in my area. So anyway, there's a little tip for you is if you plan ahead and then schedule your leases accordingly. I do that as well for just renewal leases. When I, any rental property I have, I never want to re- lease to renewal anytime between November, December, January, February, March, April. I'll just deliberately make sure it does not renew then. So. I thought cool. you had 12 months straight of winter back in uh, Washington up there. It's like 10 months <laughs> of rain and then two oh, okay. months of the most gorgeous weather you'll ever experience. So, all right. We live in Colorado. We've got the most gorgeous weather you'll ever experience. Okay, yeah, question and nose, orange. And, no, and nosebleeds. All right, question orange. <laughs> Number, Number 12. 12. This one is for after the property has been listed, double check your listing information. Every property that goes on the MLS gets, there's forms to fill out to put it on the MLS. How many bedrooms does it have? How many bathrooms does it have? What's the square footage, garage space, et cetera. You want, after your agent has filled all of that information out and hits go live, you want to go into that listing and double check that all of your information is correct. That's such a good tip. I have seen... Houses that say there's six bedrooms and they're really two bedrooms or houses that, you know, two and three are right next to each other. You think you're getting a three bedroom house. You walk in, you're like, where's the third bedroom? What's well, only a two bedroom house? Well, it says three on the listing sheet. 
again, you don't want extra people in your house. It's a hassle to show your house. It's not a ton of a hassle, but you know, it's a hassle to leave the house, especially if you have young kids. You don't want people coming into your house looking for a three-bedroom house if it's only got two bedrooms. So make sure all the information in your listing is correct. This is, yeah, and I'm going to chime in here because, you know, first of all, sometimes it's not the agent that's entering this information. Sometimes it's their intern or their office admin or something like that, and they'll they'll get it wrong. They're doing this all day long, every day. They're going to make a certain number of mistakes when you're typing in, you know, hundreds or thousands of pieces of data into the MLS. And the second thing is this happens ridiculous amount of the time here in Denver. And the properties is like the people will be selling like a house that's or they'll, they'll list it as a house. It's really a duplex or triplex. And it'll be it'll be listed at like six hundred thousand dollars and the it will be completely wrong. The the description will be correct, but the actual listing information will be completely wrong. So as a buyer, I have to go in and look at all these properties that are four, five, six, eight bedroom homes and just go through them one by one to make sure that I'm not missing any of the duplexes, triplexes, and quads that are hitting the market. And it's amazing the percentage of these things that are listed completely incorrectly. And those are real dollars coming out of the seller's pocket and into my pocket as the buyer. That's that's the only one that's actually recognizing this as the correct type of deal. Yeah. And we'll use that tip in reverse when we publish how to buy your house. But when we're talking about sellers, we want, we're the ones in charge of the listing right now. We want to make sure all that information is correct. It's really easy to go in and make the change. But if your agent doesn't know there's a problem, they're not going to go in and make the change. So you want to make sure that, I mean, ultimately this is your house. The agent made a mistake. It's not a huge deal, but you want to get it fixed. Perfect. Love it. It's a great tip. All right. Number 13. Number 13 is stage those weird areas that don't have an obvious use. Have you ever walked through an open house that's vacant and you're like, what on earth would they ever do with that space? Yep. Your buyers are seeing that weird space and they don't know they're going to just keep on walking. I went to a house. They had this basement space and it was this really odd, like L-shaped, wiggly, whatever, weird basement but they had staged it in such a way that it was uh, it was a reading nook. And that makes perfect sense in this particular space. But I would not have thought of that. And I like to think I'm pretty creative when it comes to houses. I would not have thought to make that a reading nook. I would have just looked at that space and like, what on earth am I going to put there? I guess just boxes. And yeah. I don't need any more <laughs> space for boxes. So if you've got a weird, weird, weird space, but you have a creative use for it, stage it. Even if nothing else in the house is staged, yep. showing what they can do with that weird space. I mean, what's a bedroom? Oh, wow. You could put a bed in here. Like if you do or don't have a bed in there, people are going to know it's a bedroom. Well, well, what, the thing with the uh, the book nook is that seems to be a go-to because I've seen a lot of places that are just like have these really strange. Like I saw a place that had a four foot, maybe, maybe three foot high by four foot deep box underneath the stairs and so they painted it blue and they put in like a little <laughs> pillow on the little carpet on there and yep. there, it looked like a hey book nook for the kids <laughs> like, yes. like, i'm not gonna go sit in that little crawl space <laughs> under the stairs <laughs> maybe some some kid might i don't know but that's the you know it's it's what really I look like harry potter yeah. I thought you were describing my house because I actually do have that. And my father-in-law's, I do. My father-in-law is an electrician and we had him put a light in there and the girls go in there. I made a little curtain and it's like their little hidey hole and they love it. I'll show you the next time you're over, Scott. I actually did. So I I flipped a house once. I had a bedroom, had three bedrooms, but one of the bedrooms was only six feet wide by like 12 feet. It was the weirdest long, narrow bedroom. (laughs) And uh, 
So what I did is I just went and bought the cheapest desk I could find at Ikea. It was like two little like, I don't know what to call them, like uh, sawhorses basically with a little platform on top. It was like $30. And I put that in there, put some curtains up in there, put a little desk, what do they call them, like pencil holders and like a piece of paper on the desk. And it became a really nice office. And the house sold, I mean like that house sold really, really fast. Nobody ever brought up the fact that this bedroom was six feet wide, uh, which is just an awkward size for a bedroom. So Because it's it's an office, it's not a bedroom. Yep, but legally it was a bedroom, but uh, we just called it a, uh, you know, we just uh, let people envision what they want. So, cool. All right, moving on. Number 14. Okay. Number 14 is leave during your showings and make sure you take your pets with you. So, people are allergic to animals. People don't like certain types of animals. Take your pets out of the house, if at all possible, and don't ever be in the house during a showing. Your buyers do not want you there. They don't care for your opinion of what the house is, or they don't want to see that cool little thing that you did. They want to talk about your house freely. And if you're in the house, they won't feel comfortable. They will come through, see you there, glance around and leave. And you have lost a sale that you may have not lost if you just weren't there. So get yourself out of the, out of the house for showings and leave a few minutes early, leave before the showings are even scheduled to start. Because if somebody's running late or running early, They'll be able to come by and just walk in. You're not there. They can go ahead and start the showing. If you're there and you're like, oh, I just need five more minutes. They're going to go someplace else. They might not make it back to your house. And don't come back until after they're gone. All right. I like it. Great tip. Number 15. Hey, actually, on that note, let's talk about for investors real quick. Because, you know, obviously it more applies towards homeowners selling their house. But what about an investor who's, you know, we talked about tenants earlier. Do you think you should encourage your tenant to leave, tell them to leave, or do you think it's okay to have the tenant stay there? Same applies to the tenants too. You don't want your tenants there. You want to encourage them to leave. And in fact, you don't want to accept showings if your tenants are going to be there. I've been in properties where there's tenants just sitting around watching TV and you're like, wow, it's the same thing. I feel uncomfortable because regardless of who owns the property, the tenant lives there. I don't want to see you the person who lives in this home when I'm looking at the house. I want to be able to talk yeah. about the house freely with whoever I am with. Well, what about the uh, someone like me? Like I like to meet the tenants. What, it, what about for that type of person? Is, should there be an, another opportunity for them, for the investor to meet the tenants? Do you want to meet the tenants if you're not going to buy the property? You don't care. That's correct. Yes. <laughs> so after, after the house is under contract, then you absolutely should meet the tenants. You absolutely should go over there when they're there and say, hi, I'm going to buy the property. I'm going to be the new landlord. Here's a little sheet. I'll tell, I'll give you a call at, you know, closing to let you know that it's official, but yeah, you do want to see them after you're under contract, but this is still while you're just looking at your house. Yeah. And this is, this is from the sell side, Scott. Yeah, on the, on, the, on the buy side, I love it when the tenant is there when I'm looking at a property because they, and this is why a seller should not want a tenant there because when I go to buy a property, right, uh, the tenant's like, this place is a pile of crap. Look at this wall over here. Like they love to brag about how crappy their property is and they show yes. me everything, right? That's yes, that's true you. actually because when I, was, when I was buying the last place, the tenants were a fire hose of negative yes. information about the yes, property, which that. was fantastic and that was very helpful. So fantastic yeah, fair enough. But as right. a seller, you don't want anything to do yeah. with that. Yeah, you don't want it. Good, yeah. All right, number 15. Number 15 is be prepared to walk away from an offer. What do you mean? The whole point of putting your house on the market is to get an offer, but not all offers are the same. So let's say you have a buyer 
who is just, they keep nickel and diming you. They have the home inspection. They're like, oh, the light switch is dirty. I need $10 for that. And, you know, I need $100 because the the rug is crumpled. And I need, like, they just keep nickel and diming everything. That's going to be a pain in the butt buyer. That's going to be somebody who is going to just sit there and keep asking and they might postpone the sale. They could decide at the very last minute to walk away. Maybe they don't even have funding available. If you have a buyer who is nickel and diming you and you're just not comfortable with it, every day that you're under contract is a day on the market. And if the contract falls through, you now have 30, 50, 100 days on market and then you have to start over. So you want to be prepared to walk away from an offer that isn't working out. And I'm, you can't just say, oh, forget it, I'm leaving. You have to go through and you know offer to let them out of the contract. But don't be afraid to offer to let them out of the contract. Um, another, another fun tip is in our market of the Denver area, prices are skyrocketing. Everything goes under contract instantly. There's no contingencies, yada, yada, yada. So what some buyers have started doing, and I don't agree with this, but you should be aware as a seller that this could happen. They will give you an outlier offer. Again, let's say your house is listed at 200,000. They'll offer you 250. And everybody else is around, you know, 205, 210. You're like, oh my goodness, I'm just going to sell this house for so much more. This is awesome. But then it doesn't appraise at $250,000. Now you have to come back down to the 205 or the 210 or whatever it appraised at or risk losing the sale. And again, you lose the sale after after a property falls out of contract. It starts to look like there's something really wrong with the house. So you are kind of stuck with this buyer. Again, you should be prepared to walk away, but if you're stuck with this buyer, then you're stuck with their price too. So a way to combat that is, okay, you've offered me 250. I will accept your offer of 250, but it only has to appraise at 200, which is the price that I offered it at. If it appraises at 200 or more, or if it appraises for less than 250, you have to bring the remainder to closing. And that can get them to kind of back off their 250 price. Maybe you have an offer of 215 and it appraised at 215. Those people are long gone if you're dealing with the 250 guy. So make sure that your appraisal contingent or your appraisal inspection is only at what you have offered the property at. All right. That's which goes back to pricing tip. it right. And yep. Which goes that. back to pricing it right and using your agent for selling advice and you know all of that. These kind of all build on each other. All right. Well, cool. Last shall tip. We, we have one we last tip, I think. I think one last tip. We have 16. This is number purple. This is number, number purple. For those of us who are counting. <laughs> Did we do number okay. purple already? I think this is number pink. Sorry, Scott. Number, oh, yes. number pink. Number pink. <laughs> Tell everyone you know that your house is for sale. Yes, you've got an agent. Yes, it's on the market. But you're not done selling your house until the house has closed and you have money in your pocket. So tell everybody you know that your house is for sale. The lady down the street did that. Her house was for sale. She told all of her friends, yeah, I'm going to list the house tomorrow. She had a friend make an offer on the house and win the house uh, simply because she told them that it was on the market. They had wanted to move. They had always admired her house. And then all of a sudden it's available. Well, I'm going to get in there. What price do you need? I'm going to make that offer. I like it. I've actually sold a number of houses to people who just saw it on Facebook. Like I shared it and then somebody else shared it. And yeah. Facebook, Twitter, ask all of your friends to share it. If you're on Instagram, like whatever your social media is, email all your friends, tell everybody, you know, that your house is for sale because the whole goal of putting the house on the market is to get it sold. There's, you know, there's this, uh, sometimes mentality of, oh, well, that's the agent's job. Well, it's not the agent's house. It's your house. If you want to sell it, 
let everybody know. Nobody's going to call you up and be like, hey, is your house for sale? There you go. All right. That was good. 16 good tips to sell your house for more money. And I would also add, you know, to sell faster. A lot of those tips can apply both to speed and to money. So uh, I appreciate that, Mindy. Uh, I think I learned a lot. I always do. Every time I talk to you, Mindy, you're a smart gal. Oh, thanks, Brandon. I learned something from you every once in a while, too. Well, good. Well, good. Well, people should pick up the book. Go to biggerpockets.com slash sell your home to get a copy of How to Sell Your Home, The Essential Guide to a Fast, Stress-Free, and Profitable Sale. Or go to Amazon. Go to what, Audible. Is it on Audible? Did you record it? you have an audio version of this? I did record it. Wow, I recorded cool. an audio version of this, too. It'll be available on January 11th, which is today. Perfect. And then, uh, of course, get all that stuff. And again, if you buy from Bigger Pockets, you get all those cool bonus stuff. So go to biggerpockets.com slash sell your home. Uh, I would recommend getting in there. Now, before we get out of here, let's get to today's fire round. It's time for the fire round. All right, today's fire round. Let's get to these questions. Come direct out of the Bigger Pockets forums, which Mindy is the queen of the forums. Number one. After taking initiative, landing a deal, and successfully completing renovations, how can you be sure that your property is going to sell? You can't. Next. No. Um, You can't (laughs) be sure that your house is going to sell. You have to... There are things you can do to to encourage it to sell. Have a pre-listing inspection. Clean up your home. Make it smell nice. Take good pictures of your house. And price it right. I mean, really, if you have a good property that is presented well, that is priced within the market constraints, it's going to sell. If you're having a problem selling your house, nine times out of nine, it's price. Awesome. Well, question number two here is straight from the forums as well. I'm considering selling my rental property to two of the tenants that I know and trust who currently live there. I mentioned I would offer them the discount of 5% based on agent fees. Not as I don't have the slightest idea of how to actually sell the house. Are there any fees or people I should consider getting involved to complete the necessary paperwork, etc.? Um, as I mentioned, I trust the tenants. So I don't expect them to have any funding business, but is selling the home as simple as having them secure a loan and heading to an escrow company? No. Um, I think that as a, I've, I've recommended that you use an agent in my 16 tips, but if you don't have to find a buyer, you should, you can absolutely skip the agent. I would absolutely recommend getting an attorney, a real estate attorney involved because the document, the contract to buy and sell real estate in the state of Colorado is 16 pages long currently. Um, and actually it's now 2018. I'm sure it's longer. I haven't seen the new contract yet. i probably should have done that before I recorded this. Anyway, um, (laughs) (laughs) it's a really long document and words that means one thing in the English language will mean something entirely different in legalese. So you need somebody to help you sell the property to the person who's buying it. You already, you don't need somebody to match you up, but you need to make sure that you're conveying the property to them in its entirety as you own it. You know, if you convey a different property, you can screw up the whole public records and you need an attorney to help you out. You need a title company to help you out. Title company in Colorado handles pretty much the entire closing documents. So if you've got a buyer already, talk to a title company, talk to a real estate attorney, and that'll help your whole transaction go smoothly. Very cool. All right. Number three, I'm looking to buy another house and I'll be looking to sell my current home. How do people work the timing of selling and buying a home? I'd rather have a home I'm going to buy at least in contract with a good idea of the closing date before I commit to selling my current home. Are there issues with this? Yes. 
so I recommend, well, it depends on your market. So in the Colorado market, it is extremely hot. I've said this before. I'll continue to say it because it just keeps going crazy. It is not uncommon in our current market to see post-closing occupancy agreements where I will sell my house to you. You will buy it from me and then I will rent it back from you until I can find another property to buy because nobody in this market is going to accept a contingency for a home sale. Meaning when you write an offer for a property, you say, well, uh, this offer is contingent on me being able to sell my house. Nobody's going to accept that because they've got nine other offers that are not contingent on a home sale. And you never know how long it's going to take to sell a home. Maybe they have some weird geodesic dome house that's never going to sell even in this hot market. Yeah. So in depending on your market, in a slower market, you absolutely want to sell your house before you start looking for another house. In this current hot market that we have, you want to start your home buying process even before you start selling your house because your house will sell instantly, but your home, you know, you might go through six or eight contracts before you get a house under contract that actually closes. Now, uh, quick, quick uh, additional question here. So if I'm trying to, uh, I, I assume that this person's problem of, in terms of buying the next home is they don't have any money with which to buy the next home until after they've sold their first home, right? So how do you get around that problem? Do you just use a home equity line of credit or something like that to bridge the gap or, or what's your advice there? Uh, my advice, so you don't want to be stuck with two house payments. I don't care what the market is like. You don't want to be yeah. stuck with two house payments unless you can afford them both. What happens if some fluke and your house doesn't sell, but now you've got this other house to buy? I would recommend looking into the the HELOC. The There's a, something called a bridge loan, which is a loan that like bridges the gap between the home sale and the home purchase. I'm sorry, bridges the gap between the home purchase and the home sale. But I would also look at short-term rentals where you sell your house, you get it completely done, you're on the way to buying the new house, and you move out of your current house into a rental for a couple of weeks, a couple of months until you find a new property, or doing the post-closing occupancy agreement where you work it into the contract at the time that it's being signed that you will be renting the house back. This happened with the last house I sold in the area. The buyers knew that this was happening. They offered it before we even asked. That's great. All right. Question number four. I have rehabbed my first property. The problem is that I had my GC hire a foundation company, which was not reputable and did not do the the foundation work with an engineering evaluation. The house is rehabbed really nice and the buyers have no issue with the rehab. However, most of the interested buyers are asking about this engineering evaluation report, which I cannot produce. Any advice would be appreciated. I'm having difficulty selling the property. Go get another engineering report. Go and, I mean, if the, uh, I can understand, especially in Colorado, we have shifting soils and like a whole lot of wampiness. You want to get a licensed engineer out there to inspect the property, and then you can present that report to people. So yeah. the the current the original guy wasn't licensed. Just go get somebody who is. That's funny. That wasn't actually. I mean, like remember earlier I told that story that almost the exact same hap- thing happened to mine. It wasn't the report necessarily, but it was the re- non reputable contractor didn't have the thing. So I just had to go get another contractor to go in there and verify the work was correct. That satisfied yeah. what the lender and the buyer wanted. So. Anyway, very cool. All right, well, that was the end of the fire round. And I don't think we need to do a famous four today since we've obviously done this, but maybe we should. Mindy, other than your own, we'll do it anyway. It's time for the famous four. All right, Mindy, what is your favorite real estate-related book? Besides your own, come on. And besides, besides mine, my besides own? Scott's, you know. Everyone's got a book. You get a book. You get a book. I can't say the book on rental property investing. I mean, that's a really great book. 
And it's you not even me like... over Scott. That's amazing. Hey, Scott. Scott's book is that. a real estate. So, so, so dejected. <laughs> <laughs> now, the millionaire real estate investor. All right. That Fine. that's a whatever. Don't say mine. Book. I don't care. Don't say mine. I, I don't. don't I don't like whatever. your book. Whatever. I, don't I care. love your book. <laughs> Number two, favorite. Oh, your turn, Scott. You ask it. What is your favorite business related? Okay, so I don't know if I said this. I can't remember what my answers were on show one twenty nine. But my favorite business book lately is The Richest Man in Babylon. It it was written in the twenties by George S. Clayson and. It just tells this story from like, it's written in like Shakespearean English, which I love. And it tells a story about this kid who was like, oh, how do I become rich? He's like, be frugal, trust people that you're investing, like invest with people you trust. Don't be so quick to spend money that you don't have. And it's just, it's all these basic concepts that ring true today. And it's just, I'm a sucker for Shakespearean language. Awesome. All righty. Well, what do you do for fun? What are your hobbies? I have two girls, so I do a lot of stuff with the color pink. Um, (laughs) No, (laughs) I like to ride my bike. I like to do long distance cycling. I like to snowboard. I love to snowboard. Wow. I did not know you were a snowboarder. That's cool. I am a snowboarder. I'm an amazing snowboarder. Almost made the Olympic team. Are you lying? Okay. (laughs) Really? (laughs) (laughs) All right. I almost made the Olympic team. It was amazing. That's funny. Mindy actually comes in and some days just starts her day off with a standing backflip. She just comes in (laughs) just to kind of get ready for the slopes. That's not a lie at all. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Number four. What do you think sets apart successful investors, especially when it comes to selling properties from those who struggle, give up, fail, never get started? Education. Mm, They learn. If you are going to be, this is a successful investor. If you are going to be a successful investor, you have to know what you're doing. I love it. Very succinctly put. All right. Well, yeah, we, we don't, we don't ever comment on that enough though. The successful part of that. Anybody can no. become an investor. You just have enough cash. Yes. You buy a property. It can be a bad property and you get started. Right. But I'm an investor. Look at me. But yeah, in order to be successful for long, you got to know what you're doing and have the resources to do it. All right. Yes. Well, I like it. Good deal, Mindy. Scott, you want to close us out? Last question of the day. Last question. Where can people find out more about you, Mindy? Uh, they can give me a call at, no. <laughs> uh, I am all over biggerpockets.com. I am in the forums. I am in the podcast, the Bigger Pockets podcast, the Bigger Pockets Money podcast. You can reach me at Mindy at biggerpockets.com or you can send me a private message. I am probably your colleague on Bigger Pockets because I am the first colleague for anybody who has signed up after. I think like February of 2016, I have 400,000 colleagues. So she knows you on a very personal level already. We're all best friends. Already. All right. So the newest book from Bigger Pockets is out right now by Mindy Jensen. It's called How to Sell Your Home. Go pick it up at biggerpockets.com slash sell your home. And uh, with that, let's get out of here, guys. We don't need to do a long intro because or outro because, you know, we just did a long show. So uh, Mindy, thank you so much for writing that book. It's going to help a ton of people be able to sell their properties for more money. And thank you, Scott, for hanging out with us today. Yeah. Thank, thank you, you very much for having me. This is a lot of fun. I like being on this side of the microphone sometimes. Well, good. All right, guys. Thanks so much. Okay. Take it easy. For BiggerPockets.com, this is Mindy, Scott, and Brandon signing off. You're listening to Bigger Pockets Radio, simplifying real estate for investors large and small. If you're here looking to learn about real estate investing without all the hype, you're in the right place. Be sure to join the millions of others who have benefited from BiggerPockets.com, your home for real estate investing online.
Braving the real estate investing journey on your own can be daunting. Doubts tend to creep up and stifle your ambition. Is this actually a good deal? Did you run the numbers right? What if you can't find a tenant? Can you even afford this place? What if you lose your job? Whatever you're going through, we've all been there. And guess what? The best way to overcome your doubts and hesitations is with a healthy dose of knowledge, networking, and accountability. And that's just what you'll find in our newly released 2024 Summer Boot Camps. After these eight action-packed weeks of step-by-step guidance from expert investors, weekly video modules, live Q&As, interactive assignments, and new friends to keep you accountable, you'll be ready to tackle your first or next deal with full confidence and expertise. Choose from the small multifamily, short-term rental, or rookie boot camps and register by April 12th for the lowest prices. Head on over to biggerpockets.com slash enrollme today. That's biggerpockets.com slash enrollme. The content of this podcast is for informational purposes only. Past performance is not indicative of future results, and all hosts and participant opinions are their own. Investment in any asset, real estate included, involves risk. Use your best judgment and consult with qualified advisors before investing. Only risk capital you can afford to lose. BiggerPockets LLC disclaims all liability for direct, indirect, consequential, or other damages arising from reliance upon information presented in this podcast.